What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Satya, thanks for having me back here in Seattle. You just got off the stage minutes ago. Thank you so much, John, and thanks for coming out here. It's sort of becoming a, a great habit for you to now to be showing up multiple times a year. We love it. <laughs> it is indeed. Well, to talk to you, of course. Um, big announcements uh, here. A year ago, uh, OpenAI put out ChatGPT, and your stock is up around 50% since then. Uh, what's been the most significant first wave of adoption in AI for you. You talked a lot about co-pilots today. General public and investors probably don't think about those as much, but strategically for you, has that been the most significant? Yeah, I would say both, uh, John. I mean, there are two real breakthroughs in some sense uh, with this generation of AI. One is this natural user interface that, show, you know, the first time people really got a sense for it was when ChatGPT launched, right? Where that, there is a complete new way to relate to information, whether it's web information or information inside the enterprise. And that's what we're mainstreaming with our co-pilot approach. And that definitely has caught the imagination. It's becoming the new UI pretty much for everything or the new agent to both not just get the knowledge, but to act on the knowledge. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that's also happening is a new reasoning engine. Just like, say, in the past, we thought about databases, we now have a new reasoning capability, which is not doing relational algebra, but doing neural algebra. Uh, and that, you know, you can take an API and you can continue a, sent, you know, a paragraph or you can do summarizations or predictions. That's a new capability. That's going to change pretty much every software category. So between both of these, you can see a lot more mainstream deployment of AI and the benefits of it, right? Get Copilot perhaps is a good example of it. And that's what I think a lot of people outside of the developer community don't necessarily get, is that there's this AI tool that's helping developers to write code. Uh, Jensen Huang, we'll talk a little bit, he was on stage with you a few minutes ago. He was talking about that even accelerating the speed at which NVIDIA is able to innovate. What's, what's the breakthrough there? Yeah, I mean, for me even, when I, my own confidence about this generation of AI being different is when I first started seeing with, I think, GPT-3 and 3.5, um, uh, GitHub Copilot. Uh, because that was the first product. In fact, before ChatGPT, we built GitHub Copilot and deployed these models. And the fact that developers now can just do, you know, code completions um, and get, you know, and even the, you know, one of the things we've done is we've taken the joy out of some of the software development. Now we bring back the joy, the flow to stay in it. Uh, and, it's dry, and it's showing productivity data, which is unlike anything we've seen in the past, right? You're taking the most knowledge work task, which is software development and seeing 50 plus percent improvement. And so that's what we are trying to replicate with Copilot for the broad knowledge work and information, I mean, fr frontline work. And in fact, what Jensen is saying, they're deploying both GitHub Copilot for their developers, but deploying Microsoft Copilot for all the employees at NVIDIA. So he's mm. saying, watch out, let's now NVIDIA, if you think is fast now, let's see what happens in a year from now. So th there's this scramble happening right now across enterprise software. So many companies I I'm talking to are trying to add 
uh, AI into their portfolios, enhance their existing product offerings with it, and then see kind of how much their customers are going to be willing to pay for, for that added boost and perhaps productivity. You've been early on this and have some data showing how Microsoft customers feel about you know, this AI being built into your software. What are you finding so far? Yeah, it's, it's very, very, very promising. I mean, obviously, the developer one is the one that where we have conclusive, I would say, data. And it's become, it went, went from sort of, oh, well, this is a good idea to mainstream, uh, just like that, because uh, of the obvious uh, benefits, both individually and for organizations. Uh, I do believe, like, firm-level performance, you'll start seeing divergence if you are adopting or not adopting some of this technology. The next place, I think, is um, even things like customer service. We ourselves deployed uh, our co-pilot for customer service, in fact, for Azure support. You know, it turns out when you're a customer service agent, by the time you're trying to solve a problem, it's already a very hard problem to solve because the automatic bot didn't solve it. It's been escalated to you, so you have an irate customer on one end and a tough problem. So Copilot helping you there is fantastic. But and the what, idea being that the AI can go into the, all database of the databases, of the figure out when did they call before, what were their problems, correct, or the can, knowledge basis, and bring the sort of the solution to you, so to speak, versus right. you going foraging around it. But the, here is the interesting thing. We had not realized that it is not just that that was hard, but it is also the pain every customer service agent had of summarizing everything they did to solve the problem at the end of the call, which took like half hour with all the artifacts, the logs, and what have you. And all that's automated, right? So that, that's real productivity gain. So we are seeing massive throughput. Same thing is happening in sales. Same thing is happening in finance. So broad strokes, I think, we, you know, in this conference, we are launching all the data we have already with the co-pilot. It's early days. But we're very, very optimistic that this is probably the thing that we've been looking. In fact, the last time, information technology showed up for real in productivity data was when PCs became mainstream in the late 90s and early 2000s mm -hmm. uh, because work and workflow changed. Uh, I hope that that's the same thing that gets replicated in this AI era. Yeah, it's a generation ago. How long, you think, before the data is conclusive enough that you'll know on the demand side, the customer benefit side, kind of what the calculation is, and that'll be able to aid your sales effort and, and yeah, it's we'll a great it question. Up. In fact, one of the things we are also developing is a bit of a methodology on how do you go about measuring, because it's kind of one of the things, right? How, what's the productivity measures here? By cohort, can you think about some evals, some tasks, uh, and really look at, uh, deploy the software, look at and follow the cohort, you know, in a month, in three months, look at your own data. And that's one of the other things that we're realizing is it's like every business is different, every workflow is different, every business process is different, and it's also different in time. And so that's why even having these customization tools, so we're very excited about the Copilot Studio, because you need to be able to tailor these experiences for your specific business process needs. And so I think all of these will add up. And I'm hoping that in 24, I, I think of calendar year 24, is the year where we will have, I'll call it classic commercial enterprise deployment and deployment data hmm. for all of this. Well, I wanted to start there because that's sort of the top line, right? Customer demand, what are the problems that it's solving? But I also want to talk about the bottom line and cost, and that's where some of your chip announcements come in. You talked about Azure Maya, Azure Cobalt. Start with Maya, AI Accelerator, ARM-based. This is not competing with NVIDIA necessarily, or Jensen wouldn't have been on stage with you, um, but running, starting with, you said, Microsoft's own workloads, your, the, the software that, that Microsoft is offering out in the cloud, this is gonna help run that more efficiently. 
what kind of savings, what kind of efficiency is possible, do you think, with your own designed chip versus what you could get off the shelf? Yeah, I mean, the thing, John, that we are seeing is, as a hyperscaler, uh, you see the workload and you optimize the workload. That's sort of what one does as a hyperscaler. Right? A like hyperscaler across, meaning it's, it's you, us, it's Amazon, it's Google, you're, you're the cloud. Huge. And you've got billions and billions of dollars spent on these data sets. That's right. I mean, yeah. so even a systems company at this point, I mean, everything from sort of how we source our power to how we think about the data center design, right? The data center is the computer, uh, the cooling in it. Uh, everything is all optimized for a workload. So the fact is, we have now bought, we saw these training workloads and inference workloads, quite frankly, first, right? We have three, four year advantage uh, of trying to sort of learn everything about this workload. That's kind of, to me, in a systems business, you have to be early to the next big workload that's going to take over, so to speak. And that's what we got right. And so we've been hard at work on it. Uh, the other thing is we also, when I think about, you're talking about AI, for us, OpenAI's models are the ones that are deployed at scale. Both, obviously, those are the models that we are training uh, at scale and deploying for inference at scale. It's not just a bunch of models, but it's this one model. Mm -hmm. So we now have a great roadmap for how we think about Maya, how we think about AMD, how we think about NVIDIA, all in our fleet. Uh, right, right now, as we speak, we have uh, some of the Maya stuff powering GitHub Copilot, for example. So mm -hmm. you will see us deploy our own accelerators and also to take advantage. I mean, the other announcement today was the AMD announcement. We are going to introduce MI300 uh, into the fleet. It's got some fantastic memory characteristics and memory bandwidth characteristics, which I think are going to make, and GPD-4 is already running on it. So we are excited about, obviously, our cooperation and partnership, which is deep with NVIDIA, AMD, and our own. Uh, custom chips are the new black, right? Um, <laughs> AWS has Infresh and Tranium. Um, Google has its TPUs. What does it take to make yours better and get more benefit out of your system's work. Yeah, so I think the way I look at it and say is you don't enter the silicon business just to be in the silicon business. You, I think of the silicon business as a means to an end, which is ultimately delivering a differentiated workload. So for example, that's why I don't even think of the silicon itself. I think about the cooling system. I don't know if you caught that. What we did was we built an entire rack, which is liquid cooled for yeah. Maya. And yeah. everything, the thermal distribution of that entire rack is very different from a traditional rack. Guess what? We built it because we can then deploy these in data centers we already have, as mm -hmm. opposed to saying, let's wait for the next big data center design, which is fully liquid cooled, which, by the way, is also coming. So that's the level. When I think about the advantages uh, we will get, is not just going to be about one sort of silicon, but it's going to be the entirety of its system optimized for high-scale workloads that are deployed broadly, mm -hmm. like something like OpenAI inferencing. Now, let's take a, a global perspective. Not long after we're done talking here, you're getting on a plane going to San Francisco. Uh, Chinese President Xi is there. He would like access to all of these innovations that Microsoft has been talking about, that NVIDIA has been talking about. President Biden says no. What should happen from here that both allows trade to take place and protects intellectual property? I think that's a great question. I mean, at the end of the day, nation states are the ones who define their policies. I mean, it's clear that uh, the United States has a particular set of policy decisions that they're making on what it means to both have trade and competition um, and, and national security. And so 
as the states decide, and in this case, obviously, we are subject to what the USG decides, uh, we will sort of really be compliant with it. And at the same time, uh, we do have a global supply chain. Uh, the, the reality of uh, tech as an industry today is it's globalized. And the question is, how does it sort of reconfigure as all of these new policies and trade restrictions all just play out? Uh, whereas, at least for now, Today, the majority of our business is in the United States and in Europe and in the rest of Asia. And so we don't see this as a major, major issue for us, quite frankly, uh, other than any disruption to supply chains. The AI piece. That's right. That separation. That's right. Because most of our businesses, in fact, a lot of the Chinese multinationals operating outside of China are our bigger AI customers, perhaps. But uh, China is not a market uh, that we are focused on uh, per se as domestically. We are mostly focused on uh, the global market ex-China. For the customers, though, who have to uh, operate in all of these different regions, all these different fields, as a hyperscaler, you've been building out data centers in those places so that you can abide by the rules. Does this friction make it more complicated? Or in a way, does it benefit Microsoft's more diverse global footprint that you have more options to serve customers uh, as these conflicts arise? Yeah, I mean, I think I've always sort of felt that in order to be a global provider of something as critical as compute, uh, you just need to localize. Uh, that's why we have more data center regions than anybody else. We, I always felt that data sovereignty, the legitimate reasons for why any country would want it uh, for their public sector, critical industry was always going to be true. Also, let's not forget the speed of light issues. You need to have a global footprint in order to be able to serve everyone in the world. And so, yes, I think at this point, having invested, having gotten here, and now gotten ahead on AI, it's going to work to our competitive advantage. Uh, but I think that this is also about you know, the maturity that one needs in order to deal with the world as is, as opposed to it's not like we're building one consumer service that's reaching you know, two, three billion people. This is about reaching every enterprise public sector workload uh, in the world with all of the compliance and security needs. And that's a very different business than just having one hit consumer service. Now, it's been about 25 years since Microsoft lost a big case versus the government, where uh, it looked to some like Microsoft was about to get smaller. And yet we're talking here, Microsoft just won uh, a big legal case where you're getting bigger with the addition of Activision Blizzard. So I guess in a way, uh, congratulations. <laughs> but also, th there's some work in the AI context here. And now to integrate this, particularly in AI, and you talked about this a little bit on stage, What's the challenge of integrating this into Microsoft, into Microsoft, into Azure, into your status as a hyperscaler in a way that you get the full benefit of all of that content, of the gaming developer community, and of AI? Yeah, I mean, to us, at the end of the day, you know, when I think about AI, it's not about just this as another technology you add on the side. It's about sort of changing the nature of every software category, right? Whether it's in gaming, uh, whether it is uh, core Azure or Windows, all redefining every software category where AI is going to be core to what we do and the value props uh, we pr pr uh, develop. The other important consideration is also to not think of safety as something that we do later but to really shift left and really build it in into the core. Like, for example, when we think about Copilot, we built all the responsible AI and guardrails right at the very beginning uh, so that when people are deploying 
on the Copilot. They know that they have the best safety around uh, the Copilot built in. And so these are the things that we are going to do up, up and down the stack. And that's why I walked up today uh, you know, from infrastructure to data to co-pilots. Uh, we're thinking of AI as the main thing with safety as opposed to one more thing. Uh, with the stock recently at all-time highs, uh, Satya Nadella, CEO of Microsoft. Thanks for joining us here on CNBC. Thank you so much, John. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.